Welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack, and this week I'm bringing a compilation episode. I've got clips from interviews with Trip Mitchell, uh, Jake Schottenstein, Mandy Murray, David Frasconi from a Frasconi Files episode, a colleague, Wendy Smart. Uh, I also talked with the doctor, Robert Simpson. And I think we finish up today with little Mike Hawes from Red Barn Farms. So without further ado, please enjoy this compilation episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. Okay, here we are. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack, and I'm here today with... My friend, family member, <laughs> colleague, <laughs> fellow podcaster, that's fellow ex- podcaster, actually, yes, um, and uh, an all-around great guy, Trip Mitchell. Trip, thanks for being here today. I'm delighted, and uh, this is the nicest podcast studio I've ever been in, and I've been in a bunch, and they're typically shitholes. <laughs> Mine is located in just. A horrible building that bands hang out in, and just had a meeting with a guy who started a new brewery oh. just down the street, and made a pitch to him to move our podcast studio there, and so people can come in and do podcasts. Uh, you know, if they've built up an audience, come in and do it once a month, uh-huh. and then the brewery would love to have fans come in. And what I find with our podcast is that if you have an audience, the show goes poorly because you end up ours. It's you a, mean a live audience. Yeah, live audience. Are, yeah, if you've got no audience, it goes poorly also. But if you're trying to play to your crowd and we're a comedy podcast, it is just it just doesn't work. You need to kind of focus in, get right, get through what you guys do as a show, and then try to get laughs. Yeah. Okay. And so we're probably not. So we've been uh, invited to work a couple of clubs, and I've had to put the brakes on that. And just because... We're not good enough I see. to be able to just focus. Because you want to please a crowd. If you're an entertainer, you want to do that. Yours is a little smarter. Yeah. Well, and I, I, to, you know, my experience of you is you are good enough and you are smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like you. So um, st- taking a line from Stuart Smalley. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out for the guy who wrote that, did it? No, not so well. You know, at, okay, changing this. And I apologize for this. Last hijack here. Al Franken. Uh-huh. He got so screwed in this whole Me Too movement. Yeah, he what did. he did, it was so, and it was juvenile, and but he literally is a great guy, and he resigned, and he's looking back now at all these people who've done such horrible things, uh-huh. and uh, some, you know, I've interviewed Trump before, and Trump was a dirtbag then, he's a dirtbag now. <laughs> Uh, how, how do you real feel, really feel, Trent? Well, he's just a horrible human being, and, and we'll be lucky if he's gone. But I've lost so many bets. You, <laughs> but, right. but a friend of mine who uh, who those, works those liberal northeasterners, yes, they 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 they've made a lot of bets. Oh God, it's horrible. But my buddy who works at the AA Central Office came over to my office today mm-hmm. and said uh, he's so excited, and I go, why? He goes. Chappaquiddick, the feel-good movie of the summer. <laughs> so I Wild immediate- nights of Ted Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, and you'll see this when you get home. I uh, went to Home Depot's site, 
and found you can get a 20-foot ladder for $119. You can buy 10 feet, 20 feet of rope oh, I for $10. I actually saw this. I yeah. saw this today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1,600 ladders <laughs> and 1,600 20-feet things of rope. So every mile of this wall, you can get it for $600,000, and Trump wants to build a $22 billion wall. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the thing that generic or kind of in regard to this this show is the fact that Trump has been trying to gut Obamacare. And Obamacare has been substance abuse is part and parcel, has made Obamacare what it it is. I mean, it's allowed people, how many millions of people around this country have a substance issue that we deserve treatment? Well, and up until Obamacare did not get treatment. Exactly. The bottom line fact is that the mil- actually millions. I can't remember the exact number, but it's it's millions of people that did not have treatment before, did not have access to those services, all were able to get it because of the the parity law. I mean, they were able to um, afford most of them that that were you know that had access to Obamacare or the you know the health exchange to to you know change that now that didn't just change for obamacare it changed for private insurance through business and as well because but that became part of the prerequisites y- of the and paul you might not get sober get clean your first time through hmm. but for people to get access and as a member of aa i see it every day i hear it you know people don't get clean the first time some do some people the majority don't the yeah majority. i mean it's it's you know 40 to 50 percent go through treatment, you know, and it's your industry, so you know better than I, but at least get the tools to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's exactly true. And if you don't go to that first meeting or you don't go to rehab, you're not going to have any clue as to how to get sober, get clean. And these people, and it's, you know, and it's a shame that there wasn't a name for a group of people who make decisions that hurt the majority. Oh, there is. They're called Republicans. <laughs> oh. But literally. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. There we have a little clip from the Trip Mitchell interview, actually the opening. Um, and this trip sometimes does. He takes the Politico Avenue. Um, up next, we have uh, my uh, interview with Jake Schottenstein. Uh, Shoddy Jr., and uh, we end up discussing all the colors of the Crayola crayon rainbow. Enjoy. Yeah, um, I had a, a guest on a couple of weeks ago um, that, you know, the big part of their life is based in service work. And um, they were telling me the story of uh, this um, village they went to in Nepal. And the average income of the person there was like $400 a year, you know, if you compared it um, to, you know, uh, what what we, we, we consider, you know, we make or live upon. And, and she was saying that these are some of the happiest people she's ever met in her life, mm-hmm. that she's never found or hadn't seen people that content with their life and their community and their relationships. And it, it and money was not any of the guiding forces for it. Um, materialism was not part of that. I wonder what your your thoughts are because that's kind of I'm wondering if that's kind of where you're going with this a little I bit. I think humans can adapt to anything, and I think uh, uh, the average American life is very convoluted because there's so many there's uh, uh, there's so many complications where uh, you know living a, a, a more 
again, primal life like uh-huh. that is it's simpler. So then there's less factors involved that could put you in a place where you're confused or feeling the the full, you know, the full color spectrum of the rainbow. But uh-huh. I do think that happiness is fleeting. Uh-huh. I think uh, I think happiness you 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 feel it. I feel it a few times a day, uh-huh. and I feel sad, uh-huh. and you know I, I feel the I feel the full gambit, full I, menagerie yeah. of feelings. Yeah, sure. But full, I'm very full spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I'm very sensitive. It's a it's it, it's you know it, it's. I go through the full spectrum. I don't just, you know, like I look at it like those, uh, you know, Crayola had like those eight markers you could get. And then there's the big ones, like the 64 pack (laughs) that have all these different colors. I have all those colors. I feel them all. Oh, beautiful. I color with all of them. Beautiful. It's, it's, there's a, there's a lot uh, that I, I go through that full spectrum, but I appreciate that. You're a Crayola box of emotion. You're the big box of emotion. God damn it, that was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it was good though. Yeah. Okay. What in life? And you talked about you know finding happiness, and we got into the Crayola emotional uh, dynamic there of you know this huge palette of different kinds of emotions. On, on that, and 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 I use this. I, I like this term. You know, the word joy. You know, what what brings you joy in life? Where, how, how do you explore and find that? Um, well, again, like I said, I think joy is, is, is happiness is fleeting. Uh-huh. But I I there like the whole Crayola thing. So some I feel satisfied at work when I achieve something that I've been trying to do. Ah, you know, okay. right. so like, you know, I, for example, you know, this week I, I, I did many things, you know, install uh-huh. mini split systems and, you know, AC. And uh, once I start the AC up and it works, I feel satisfied. Uh-huh. Now, when I go home and there's like a relaxed feeling of I'm engaging in something that doesn't take much effort. And I'm satisfied. I love stories. That's something that has never not been something that's a part of me. Is I fuck. I love stories. Uh-huh. I love storytelling in every form. Uh-huh. Reading a book, watching a movie, mm-hmm. playing a video game. As long as it's got a story that is engaging, and I, I and I can appreciate. I can see the tropes in certain stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the themes. I can mm-hmm. see revolving characters that you keep seeing, but as long as they have a different name, I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I just love stories, and I I, I love uh, you know with film nowadays. I it, it now it's it, as humans we've been telling stories forever, so they're the the themes are always going to be the same. They're the same. They're boiled down to the same things, <laughs> but it's people's styles, the way they stylize stories. Uh-huh. That's what. That's one of the most engaging and happiest times I feel is when I'm I'm watching a story unfold, and it's a different style that I haven't seen before. And uh, that's that's when I feel like a, 
when I when I escape to somewhere else, which I think everybody needs, uh-huh. that's when I feel happiest. Sure. Uh, but I feel the 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 most connected I ever feel is when I'm with my family. Okay. That's when I feel connected. That's when I feel like it all makes sense. Sure. Yeah. That's what I. That's when I feel like comfort. That's when I feel true comfort is when I'm with yeah. my family because yeah. I I I am grounded and I remember oh this is this is life this is this is what it's about is this connection yeah and we'll always have this you always have until that. they die and I wonder before if before me yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. now I wonder if if you're if you 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 find joy in. In with your animals as well, because we, we did talk about that in the very beginning. You know this. I do. Yeah, I have a pet yeah. Zach and a pet dog and two <laughs> cats, and uh, I I I love my animals uh, because there's no there's no judgment. You know, there's no. Uh, I I know. Here's the thing. I, it, you know, we've had these uh, these discussions today about. Uh, some would call them cynical, but I think they're just scientifically informed. Of course, mm-hmm. I've, I I don't read many peer-reviewed journals, uh-huh. but uh, I I do read a lot, and I do try to be informed, and I do have a, a natural sense of things that I try to get to the bottom of things because I want answers. Uh-huh. And However, I know my animals, biologically, they're like, Hey, this guy feeds me, and it's comfortable here, so I'm gonna be nice to him. <laughs> but I like that. <laughs> I like it when they're nice to me. Right. They come over and they're nice to me. I like that. It's comforting. Well, animals have emotions, and they have a, a Crayola big box of emotions too. I, I'm, you know, I, that's been shown over and over again. And empirically, the new, the, I mean, excuse me, the new research shows that it's a lot more vast than we had understood up to this point yeah um that animal emotion just goes much deeper and is is not that not that much different than human emotion mm-hmm. which is you know we've of course the arrogance of human beings to think that they're so special you know, i read right? that dogs are self-aware yeah yeah but uh not through visuals so if the dog looks in the mirror they don't think anything of it <laughs> However, they can smell themselves. Lucky, they know what their that, scent yeah. is. They know what others' are, scents are. Yeah. They are, uh, you know, they they can. That that's how they read things. Right. That's how they look. Yeah. At well, the the thing with the lack of, of sense of self for 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 dogs is they probably don't have a lot of body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably you not know a big what? problem. It, not a big problem with anorexia <laughs> in the dog community. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Good, Good to know. Okay, hope you enjoyed that clip from Jake's interview. Up next is Mandy Murray, and we talk about how she connects to her Zen zone. Appreciation. Okay, um, how do you how do you connect to your Zen spot or your Zen zone? And that, you know, we, I call this the Zen zone in here. So yeah, um, how, how do you connect to that in, in your life? And I mean, you talked about you know the joy and the, and the cloud surfing and those kinds right. of things, but. How, how do you connect you to your true north? Um, yoga. 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 Yes. Yoga is my yoga is my Zen thing. You know, it's and I know if I haven't done it for a while, and I yeah. even have friends that live in um, Maryland. She'll call me and she'll say, 
maybe you just need a yoga class. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> but and, you're, friends, and you're also going, she's probably right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, good friends do that. You want to be angry, and then like a second later, you're laughing about the fact that she knows you that well. So, um, no, yoga. Yoga is my yoga is my thing. Um, and it's it's balancing for me. You know, because it's every day can be different on your mat and it's a struggle yes. in so many different ways. Some yeah. days you're stronger than other days. Yes. Some days your mind is playing tricks on yeah. you and some days you just want to lay there and cry. Whatever that is, I just do it. Yeah. So, which kind of takes the full circle about the conversation about being in the moment. Mm-hmm. I do believe yoga is one of those the, those practices that can really, no matter what's going on in our lives, can have us get into the moment no matter what it looks like, whether mm-hmm. it's frustrating, yeah. angry, sad, yeah. you know, peaceful, blissful. I mean, it, anything can happen in, in Anything can happen, and it's, it's, it's often fight or flight mode. <laughs> you know, it really, for me, it is. I'm like... <laughs> I have to lay in Shavasana for five more minutes, but be in the moment because it, it just, it clears, it clears my mind, mm-hmm. clears my mind, yeah. you know, so. Beautiful. Okay. Um. <laughs> That's the Buddha in me. <laughs> Where's the cake? Okay. <laughs> All right. So what, uh, what are your beliefs about, um, you know, about faith, the meaning of life, God, the universe, what, you know, I mean, I like to ask this question, especially for those that, you know, have, have grown up in one, one dynamic in one culture and have learned to expand out their experiences because it evolves for most people. And I mean, for most yeah, people, it does for most, evolve. I, I think it, I think it evolves even if you stay within a, yeah. a certain belief, a certain system, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I think it always evolves and I think it continues to evolve for me. So, um, I don't, I don't follow a religion per se. Mm-hmm. I, um, I think it, it kind of goes back to like my connection is to my yoga mat, which is, it's not my, you know, it's not my faith. I don't, I don't think that at all, but, um, I think, well, um, yoga is a pretty, is a spiritual yes, practice. Yes, it is. It is a spiritual practice, yeah. but it's, you know, I don't, I don't call that my faith or anything. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess the universe but I think that that word is overused <laughs> a lot so I don't like to I don't even like to say like oh the universe and this and that I just um, I guess I just follow my heart okay. you know be kind like be kind to people be kind to myself um, hmm. you know love I think well, love love is my faith okay. love is my faith a beautiful discussion with Mandy up next, David Frasconi from the Frasconi Files. Expect a little irreverence and a little political musing. Enjoy. So, what are, what are your thoughts and, and experiences with the, the political issues on, on Facebook? And you and I have talked a little bit about this previously. Um, how that has you know affects the certain. I guess even family relations at, at times. So yeah, I have a schism in my family, and it, it's a Trump thing. But this isn't really about Trump or politics. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, actually, the the schism in my family isn't either. The the nail in the in the coffin. You know, the last thing that did it was uh, 
me sharing, I, I wasn't even playing politics at that particular mm -hmm. moment. I mean, I had been very vocally negative against Trump, and he was a Trumpster. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I was definitely involved in causing tension. But to me, this one was a little separate. Uh, my dead grandmother decided to vote against net neutrality. Mm -hmm. And that bothered me very much that, you know, not, not really that it was my grandmother, but that she wasn't living. And it was a, a huge example <laughs> of you know, people hacking the system. I mean, and, and this was a very concrete example to me that I shared to, and I tagged all the members of my near family and said, look, our dead grandmother voted, you know, against, I, ne against uh, net neutrality. Right. Yeah. And, and this isn't, I, I don't know. Or which signed a petition somewhere or something. Yeah. Yeah. The FCC petition. Okay. And with our home address, I mean, there's no question this is my dead grandmother putting these comments, except that it wasn't actually her. You know, there's no question this was fraud. And I didn't it realize... It wasn't coming from the grave is what you're saying. Exactly. So, and I don't know which party was for or against net neutrality. I don't care. But obviously, someone is hacking and, and changing votes for some kind of reason. And that was the thing that broke apart my family a bit. But that's not really important. What we were discussing was was my problem, which is how to bring this back together. Mm. Now, Paul's taught me so much about you know um, confirmation bias, and and it, it <laughs> makes complete sense to me, and I certainly see it, and I, I see it in my own actions too. I mean, um, and Facebook is a great example of that. The things you like, you see more of, yeah. so it, it does tend to be a bit of an echo chamber. Well, sure, and and I will admit that there. Though I think about it differently now, there are times that I have unfriended someone um, because of their biases don't necessarily line up with mine enough, or I just don't want to listen to it. So, um, and and that's I'm not saying that's a, a healthy or positive thing necessarily um, for for me, but I do I am aware that if if something kind of comes up and, and hits me and I go I don't want to read this anymore, <laughs> then you know I'll just unfriend that person if if their focus is to talk about that a lot. I've recently refollowed some people I had you know mm -hmm. defriended or unfollowed, and I'm getting that stuff on my my feed again and. <laughs> I have my own little personal dilemma about what to do with that because I want them to have their voice and I want to know what they're thinking because I want them to listen to me. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I mean anybody who doesn't agree with me. Sure. But at the same time, constantly seeing stuff that I believe is lies or untrue mm -hmm. and, and not having the energy to comment on it and, or want to see it, mm -hmm. it, it's annoying sometimes. Yeah. But. But with the, the, the schism I'm, I'm following, you know, with my, with my brother over, like I said, a million things, and with the existence of confirmation bias, well, that makes it hard. It makes it harder for him to hear me. But I also uh, read something about a year ago, and it, this was a, a, a nice, uh, and this is from a medical journalist or a psychological journal of some kind. It was a study, and it was scientifically correct i don't know double blind or whatever however they did their study but what they discovered was when you believe something something is true it doesn't matter what um i was going to go absurd with flat earth but i don't want to have anybody who actually is a flat earth or even if, but but um oh, let, let, we'll talk about the that, sky so. is purple so you know someone says the sky is purple you know it's not but if they truly believe it even when you show them evidence to the contrary, they'll discount that evidence. Sure, sure. And, and it's a it, and this is a human behavior. This is not only stupid people do this. Or, no, you know, no. It's and, uh, the, some of the most intelligent people I know. I mean, well, first of all, everyone has bias. 
And to want to confirm the bias that we have is, I think, is, is normal. In fact, human, that, that we, want to, we want to look for information to validate the way we think, right? Because it's, there's the attachment to it, or the attachment to at least being right about our beliefs, anyway. Yeah. So given all that, Paul, how do I fix my problem? <laughs> I've got this schism, uh-huh. and oh, and, and I also brought this up earlier too, but because of all that, I have stopped sharing any kind of political satire. I've decided that I truly think there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to make this, it doesn't matter which direction I'm going, but I think I want change and I want to convince the world or at least those dumb enough to listen to me in social media that I, I think there's a problem. But I don't think sharing jokes is the right way to do that anymore. I mean, I always thought that it was a funny way to ease someone into maybe some painful information that, hey, maybe you were wrong, you know. (laughs) But now I'm of the feeling, no, let's just stick to facts and hope that they chiseled their way through whatever armor. And again, I'm assuming I'm right and Mm -hmm. everyone else is wrong or whatever. And and that's a big assumption of mine. But if I'm in that situation, any other ideas of how to like come together without actually discussing it because that tends to inflame emotions uh, every time I've tried. Yeah. Well, the the notion that, um, I mean, or just the idea that to use humor as a way to kind of soften the blow of information that hope, hopefully it'll be maybe more digestible or more palatable, um, I think is, is, is a good intention. But as we've learned... Um, one, first of all, has to have a sense of humor. <laughs> and find it funny. Yeah. <laughs> to find things funny. And I, I correlate, by the way, on, on, on that, that the better my humor is, the better sense of humor is, the easier it is for me to laugh at myself and my folly and, and, and my bozoness. That if I can accept that, even my confirmation bias, when, and I don't always catch it, by all means, it, it, it's, it, it is not the easiest thing to always find because the belief systems get so wrapped up in old stories. But the, the notion that I have it and that I'm, I'm at least willing to take a look at it, but the, sometimes I just find myself laughing at the things I think need to be true, especially about people. But it's easy to look at um, you know, religious dogma or, or politics and, you know, underscore, you know, how div- divisive that becomes at times. And then it becomes difficult to laugh about, especially if someone believes something wholeheartedly, you know, that they, they, that they believe that the way they see the world or the way they perceive the world and the truth about it, that is absolute. And I suppose that's where maybe things begin to fall apart is this idea of absolutes instead of just basic, in, instead of personal experience where, well, I've experienced this, this is true for me, but it was just that moment. I, I don't know if it's true for everyone or if I can hold it up as an absolute and say, well, everyone should feel this way when this happens to them, you know? I think the people have just gotten really good at deception. I mean, they're, and, and I'm saying being evil. You know, people have really <laughs> gone way too far with misleading people. You know, oh, intentionally, you mean? Yeah, intentionally. Yeah, oh, yeah, intentionally. Yeah. Using half-truths to sell something when they know that their focus is on the part that's not true, but no one's paying attention to these half-truths. And then, honestly, the uh, people in mass, you know, average intelligence, mm-hmm. definition of in mass kind of thing, see that half-truth and 
because of psychology and confirmation bias, now the whole thing's truth and don't tear apart at this other little piece. Right. And religion and politics are perfect examples of that because in both sides, everybody has an agenda. Stories have half truths. Stories have been used for, you know, sometimes opposite uh the things opposite arguments sometimes just to use to back up their you know what they want an eye for an eye does that mean more violence or it's when you when you have things with so much gray and then you have some people interpreting half truths as whole truths that's when you get into a lot of this trouble i think sure well and and, and back to this this notion um of how s- simple and easy it is to f- to fall into confirmation bias. As parents, we do this with our kids quite often. I mean, not everyone does this. Some some people don't like their kids. <laughs> there have been moments I haven't. You know, I don't you, think anybody that, likes their kids all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> yeah. That was in stereo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. David and I finished up musing about confirmation bias. Up next, my discussion with Wendy Smart about the fixer and saboteur. You know the the dynamics of um, the the terms the the fixer and the saboteur, and um, <laughs> and yes. and you you definitely exp- you know shared multiple roles, and I think you know I I know sometimes it becomes black and white thinking around this that you know there's the addict which is often the saboteur, and there's the the codependent which is the fixer, but that's not reality. I mean, people yeah. are not that, it's not that black and white and the lines aren't that perfectly drawn. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I really look at it as, you know, trying to do like draw with crayons in the dark, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be all over the place and the mm-hmm. roles change. So as you, you kind of express so much relational dynamics in there, when do you notice the difference between those roles that you play and how would you say that that came about when you were, when do you notice that you were being more of a fixer? I mean, I can, I mean, I just heard you tell the story at the end there, you know, I wanted to see if I could make this work one last time. Yeah, you know? there, there's me trying to fix things, yeah. right? And yeah. and believing that I can, I can rescue him from this addiction, because now I know everything yeah. about addiction, right? <laughs> like I two years. To, I yeah. went to school. Right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah, no, I think, I think in general, and if you ask my mom, she'd totally agree. We just talked about this yesterday, but I tend to be the fixer. Mm-hmm. I try to save people from themselves i'm the enabler i'm the 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 person that has a hard time just sitting back and watching someone i love struggle Uh that's really hard for me yet again i'm the saboteur as well i i sabotage myself all the time i think it's um this pattern of not being willing to ask for help Uh uh-huh yeah, I'm terrible at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I just, that, just is, that is try a little to theme. just that is a pushing and pushing and pushing myself and and letting stuff pile on my plate, and then um, <laughs> I just reach a maximum yeah. amount of crap I can handle, and I I just kind of fall apart, and that's there's where my sabotage yeah. comes in. Versus having healthier boundaries all along, I just kind of yeah. Let that's that's well. really beautifully said. That I I, I I notice I'm trying to fix all the things around me you <laughs> for know, a little right, too right, long. Right. Yeah, and, and then but I, I'm really good at sabotaging <laughs> myself, myself, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. that's my pattern. That's how I I toggle back and forth between those two roles, hmm. but I definitely do. So in, in in life generally, I mean, as you've kind of gone through all this, has 
has there been someone there that sort of is, has been sort of uh, a mentor and a stalwart for you in, in some way, you know, kind of? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my parents are definitely uh, the rock in my life. Yeah. Um, and our relationship has had to change as I'm no longer active in the religion that they raised me mm-hmm. in, and that caused a lot of... It continues to cause a lot of heartache for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have been the most supportive of me, mm-hmm. regardless of my choices, and have never made me feel judged for my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so they're they're the most consistent example I have of what love and sacrifice should and can look like. Um, so if I try to be like anyone or look to anyone as a good example of mm-hmm. what, of what I am, you know, trying to grow right. towards, right. it would, it would be both my mom and my dad yeah. for different ways. Yeah. yeah. That was my guess. Yeah. Because I, I, I sort of hear the way you, you talk about your parents. Mm-hmm. And you they're not, they're not perfect. I hold them on a pedestal. Yeah. Because they deserve to be on that pedestal. They're they're definitely not perfect. They're very, you know... They're human. Human. Yes. Yeah, and I see their, their humanness all the time. But um, despite that, they're just the most generous, selfless um, people I have that... Mm. Yeah, as an example in my life. And I'm so grateful that my kids have them, too. Yeah. So with that, that was just a nice little turn. We can we can do that. We can turn here to talk about religion and God and those things. Oh, just briefly. Okay. But um, the or it doesn't have to be briefly. It can be whatever it is. But <laughs> the this is that that part that I think is beautiful about humanity and 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 being fallible and and making mistakes and mm-hmm. the folly of it. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. why I kind of like you know the term just another bozo on the bus. It's not to be degrading in any way to humanity. But to, sh- the t- but to say that we all share this, mm-hmm. no matter how serious we get about life or how serious it gets at times, and it does, there, there are things that need to be dealt with in a very you know, straightforward, rational way. Um, but the truth is, we're, we are gonna, everyone is going to fall down at times, mm-hmm. and everyone's going to make poor choices, mm-hmm. and that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. So the, that we, even though, like, Parents, I would you know in my life um, I have uh, I have a, a few people that have that have been really um, there for as long as I remember my sister who I supposedly got handed off to mm-hmm. um, to I mean she's been there forever as long as I know um, and um, and then you know there's some pe- other people I've met along the way that I, I've noticed that they I, there's something they emulated something that I that seemed to speak to something inside myself mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that um, that uh, I resonated with that, and I said that's something that I want to model or live up to. And I think of those as mentors. The two of them, the two men that that helped me because I didn't, I grew up without a father. Um, both had, had passed, but I look back on that on those times, and I think, and they were, these guys were fumbling around all over the place, but there was something they they were true. To, they did their best to be true to themselves, and that that stood out, and they modeled that that you know honor yourself too. 
Yeah. I didn't quite understand the self-care part back then, but as I do now. <laughs> right. Oh, and I should make a confession that I do have a uh, self-care coach. Anyway, um, <laughs> they're just sitting here right at the moment. Um, so, I try anyway. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. You're not, and you, but you don't try to fix me, so thank you. Um, the the idea of spirituality or religion, and and you saying that the you know this inherent. Um, conflict, which created some some struggles for you and, mm-hmm. and, and, and with your family, this is not a this is no, this is a normal dynamic in in any family situation where the children eventually don't foreclose on the family systems and belief systems. And I, I wonder now, knowing you know that you did, you did grow up in a very um, strong um, uh, a re- a religious family, or at least have followed certain, you know, doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, where you, where that is for you today? What, what? How do you relate to that, or, <laughs> or do you? <laughs> I think it's just always going to be a work in progress, and that's something I've had to accept in my life. Uh-huh. Is, so being raised religious, it's like you always have the answers to every question that you could possibly think of about life and what comes after life and why everything is what it is and meaning and all of this is just it's written down and it's taught to you and you have all the answers and stepping away from religion was so hard I realized because now I don't have all of the answers and I just have a lot of questions and I've had to just accept that I'm okay not having answers Mm -hmm. And I'm okay sitting with these questions yeah. and just allowing them to not be answered. Um, and that's that's kind of how I've raised my children. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that we don't believe the LDS religion mm-hmm. or or any religion could be true. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm okay if it is. And I have no negative feeling towards it i i see that it creates a lot of really healthy positive things for people and and if it works for someone then great i'm so thrilled for you it did not work for me and it does not embrace some of the values that i have um for example their their stance against homosexuality Uh was a really hard one for me to swallow um i just feel like if there is a God, and I tend to believe that there is, mm-hmm. um, I don't think he would create all of this beautiful diversity to then expect us to fit into this <laughs> cookie-cutter way of life <laughs> and get mad at us for, you know, sucking at that. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. But, I mean, wh- first of all, why, why even create gender? <laughs> right. If, you know, yeah. if, if you just have to be this certain way. So, um yeah, I, I've just kind of taken the stance of being curious and being in allowance with, with where I'm at in this process and learning. And um, I've, I've found that doing things out of my own moral compass mm-hmm. and, and being in integrity with myself versus doing things because there's this, you know, this God that I'm going to be judged for my behaviors has just really allowed me to find more joy in having integrity and, uh, and being honest with myself and others versus doing it for someone else. Well, in that 
so I mean, the, I guess the next uh, question I'm curious of, and I, I sometimes think I, I I know the answer when I, when I talk with people that I've known for a while, is you know how do you feel like you do connect to spirit or you know um, some type of um, uh, interestingly, I would I would say you know through integrity. Oh, okay. And 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 you know treating myself well and and having these standards for myself mm-hmm. i i feel more connected to me i love that versus um having you know making mistakes and shaming myself i i feel like that's the opposite of spirituality it mm-hmm. is like darkening your spirit or you know judging or criticizing yourself mm-hmm. or you know putting yourself down for these mistakes that you're bound to make I feel like that pulls you away from any kind of spiritual connection that you can have. I'm I'm really glad you, you said that and and at least brought this this up this idea of connecting through spirit through ourselves mm-hmm. and our own integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having this discussion the other day as I said, you know, when did when did the idea of spirituality or God or goddess or whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use when did it, when did it get separated from us? When because it wasn't always that way. There were times where we were all connected as uh, together and and to this uh, this force in the universe. If you mm-hmm. want to use the word God or or you know omnipresent um, mm-hmm. being or something like that, that was part of us instead of something separated. And was it you know what at what point did it happen? It's a few thousand years ago, and I don't want to just yeah. throw the Christians under the bus necessarily uh, with this because that it's so easy to to do. Because um, <laughs> um, they, they kind of, I mean, the Christians kind of grabbed onto everyone else's right. stuff and kind of made, right. made it, you know, kind of did a really nice, you know, clay, little clay and from this and slip from that and, mm-hmm. you know, glaze from that and created with a beautiful container mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, you know, people fill that container with all kinds of different things. But somehow we became separate from the container. It's almost as if, you know, we have to look. It's the idea of worship, and and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but this idea of, of how you presented this, finding that spiritual nature within you, mm-hmm. is 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 linked to your ability to be integrous mm-hmm. or live in integrity, mm-hmm. um, and that that's where you find that. And I agree wholeheartedly that that's that's my path too. I, I find myself, you know, that when I'm, I, you know, a little bit about my um, my uh, desert uh, spiritual mm-hmm. journeys that I, I do, um, and I find that that that's just, I have the same kind of experience. Whether I'm, you know, it can, it can happen anywhere, but that's where I learned to connect to it, and it was in me the whole time. And I just right. kept, it wasn't something I had to discover or get to. I didn't have to get to it. Mm-hmm. It was here the whole time. Mm-hmm. And is that kind yes. of what you experienced too? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And the more honest you are with yourself, the more you're connected to it. Yeah. Yeah. Ending with a few yeah-yeahs there. Okay, up next, my discussion with Robert Simpson, the doctor. We talk about the dark night of the soul and finding purpose. Yeah, right. I mean, it was just, it was crazy because I... Now I'm not doing all this administrative stuff and I and I kind of um 
I obviously had an affinity for for the junkies and the crackheads and you know they're my people right and so so like where everyone else is like you know oh fuck you know what's his name's back today i'd be like i'll see him you know yeah right right yeah. and uh so my my because you you had somewhere gotten to the, that place of yeah okay i am just another bozo on the bus yeah, yeah right. i'm ready my yeah. people i whatever it is but my people doesn't just mean the, the crackheads and the junkies they're it, it's people that need need yeah what i have that's that's it this is it i i I understand i mean i get it Uh, you know i I get that you can't stop even though it looks like you really should (laughs) you know and and so and then i started teaching um i started some groups down there that were i think the first one was like a stop smoking one which was ludicrous because nobody wanted to stop smoking (laughs) But um, but we um, but we really started talking about you know addiction and behavior change and 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 I mean I guess you know you kind of call it some of it was kind of mindfulness stuff mm-hmm. just awareness of what's you know I'd, I'd, by that time I'd, I'd read you know Cabot Zinn and was really kind of fascinated by by that um and these groups were super well attended um and it it just went on from there uh i became it became obvious to me that i needed to be you know doing something with addiction yeah um and i i i love I I really love the people. I I I enjoy wherever they are on that continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. Um, treating people like they're humans worthy of respect, mm-hmm. regardless of what they're doing or yeah. not doing. Um, is which is it actually is. I mean, throughout your story, that that's something that happened to you throughout. All, I mean, there's mm. periods like mm. I mean, now you mm. know you. I use the word mentor, and, and you use I use the word angel, and I kind of like the term angel too because it's like that notion of take, someone taking you under their wing, so to speak. Yeah, you know, I, I, that makes sense now. Yeah, but, yeah. But, I have it tattooed up here on my arm. Yeah, an angel. You know, because it was. I, I mean, you know, I could list off any number of people who who have just really opened up doors for me that you know for no particularly good reason other than they were just probably extremely kind people uh and maybe thought that i could be helpful you know well, um, and that's that that's that that beautiful component of empathy that Right. People understand. They really do. If you've been here, you if you've stepped walked in those shoes, yeah. you understand it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it doesn't have to just be about drugs and alcohol, but knowing what it's like to go down into the shadow. Mm. It and what it's like to be down in there. Mm-hmm. And then be able to come out. I mean there, there's that there, there's all these analogies and words that get used you know redemption and rebirth and you know um resurrection and all all, all these mm-hmm. these um 
thoughts that represent things on so many different levels, whether it be theological right, right. or existential. Yeah. But it, there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in in, there is. in, in, in that type of connection. Um, you know, the dark night of the soul piece. That <sighs> you know, right. people get that. They get that. If we're vulnerable and and and. People respond to vulnerability in different ways. Mm. But if you've been there, mm. we usually respond in such a way as to feel that 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 humanhood, that brotherhood, that sisterhood, right. that connection. Yeah. And there's it's so intimate, I believe. The importance of finding connection and community and that understanding that we're all just another bozo on the bus. Thank you, Robert. Okay, moving on. We're gonna. The last clip today is with Mike Haas from Red Barn Farms, or is known to his friends <laughs> as Johnny Farmer. Please enjoy what a powerful story Mike shares with us today. That for me was the big game changer. That was one of those aha moments where you know I just lost my best friend. I just lost my little brother, and uh, honestly, I thought I was next. And within a couple of days of losing my little brother, mm-hmm. I crashed my car on the freeway on I-15 just in, just before the Centerville off-ramp. And uh, it was early one morning. I, in fact, I'd just been up at the cemetery um, buying some burial plots for my little brother to prepare for him. You know, we mm-hmm. weren't ready for his death. Mm-hmm. And uh, that morning, I'm driving back from Bountiful um, into Farmington and uh, rolled my car on the freeway, ended up in a ditch between I-15 and the frontage road and my car was turned on its side and I remember climbing out of the driver's side window and dusting myself off and I thought oh my gosh I've got a bottle of vodka in the back seat so I climbed back in my car I remember cars had pulled over at that time they're yelling at me don't get in there don't get in there and I'm rummaging around in the back seat and I find this bottle of vodka and I toss it out in the weeds and as soon as I got out of the car again a police officer had stopped I mean, that's how crazy, that's the insanity. Lose my buddy, lose my little brother, here I am drinking. Talk about powerless and unmanageability. I mean, it was demonstrated on a lot of different levels there. So again, I go to jail again. I end up, I remember even before I went to jail that day, I remember waking up at the hospital, handcuffed to a hospital bed, go to jail, call my elder brother, he bails me out. And this time, instead of taking me home, he takes me down to Red Barn Farms. My dad's sitting there at Red Barn Farms, and with tears in his eyes, he looks at me and he says, Mike, we just lost your little brother two days ago. Are we going to lose you too? Mm -hmm. And I had one of those moments where I just completely surrendered. His message, the love that I felt from him just completely washed over me. And I looked at my dad and I said, I need some help. And he looked at me and he did something for me that I don't think he fully appreciates. But he said to me, he says, Mike, he said... We're here to support you. We're here to help you. Mm-hmm. What do you need? How can we best support you? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting back thinking, okay, this is my decision now. I got to own this. And I remember saying to him, I said, there's a facility I would like to go to. I'd been checking it out and because uh, I know I needed some help. And so he said to me, he says, all right, give me 24 hours. He says, let me look into it and we'll help you. Within 45 minutes to an hour, he calls me. He says, if you'll go to Hazelden 
which is now Betty Ford Hazel. Right. Yeah. He said, uh, let's get you out of here. We're going to support you. So now this is my idea. He was using motivational interviewing and didn't even know he was doing it. Right. <laughs> and it all started right there at Red hey, Barn Farms. You, I mean, I know your dad and he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, but he was also, you know, he's a dictator in my family. Right. He said, this is the way it's going to be done. He was right? definitely the patriarch. He was course. the patriarch. Yeah, so yeah. this is the first time, you know, I actually had a seat at the table and he says, all right, Mike, this is your decision. Yeah. And we're going to support you. Yeah. So I went off to Hazel then. Well, you you had to you had to have the buy-in. Otherwise, you know, it, someone's just telling you what to do and it, and the, uh, there's that that underlying, you know, level of resistance that oh, yeah. just is is constantly there if we don't have the buy-in. Exactly. For anybody exactly. at any time. And that's exactly what you do with the work that you do. Mm-hmm. That's what we try to implement mm-hmm. here at Red Barn. Um, you know, a little bit on a different level just because of the discipline that's involved out there. But that was a game changer for me. That was such a pivotal moment in my recovery because now I'm going and doing it because now this is what I want to do. This is what I choose mm-hmm. to do. And a series of events had transpired in my life where it had just gotten to a point where I kind of, I honestly believe this is my last shot and what do I have to lose? You know, let's give this my gotcha. you know best effort. Yeah. So Hazel then, amazing experience. The best part of this last time, knock on wood, I hope I don't go back to treatment again, unless it's just for a quick little refresher. Um, but when I came out of Hazel, then I went into transitional housing. Yeah. I went to project recovery, yeah. um, which is no longer around. Um, I remember going there and they said, okay. And I thought to myself, I'm going to come here for 30 days. And uh, they said, no, the minimum stay here is 90. And I said, don't you know who I am? You know, I got shit. (laughs) Don't you know who I am? (laughs) I got places to be. I got people to see. I got amends to make Uh, at this point, right? uh, uh. So I go to Project Recovery and I end up staying there for six months. And then they kept me on as a recovery coach. And I ended up staying there almost a year. And I remember my friends calling me from treatment and said, Mike, you're sober. How are you doing? And I thought, well, damn it, I'm still in treatment. I'm still in a s- controlled environment. I'm in a community You're in now. a community. I'm, I'm participating actually in 12 steps. I'm going to meetings. I'm doing service work. I'm finally doing all the things that had been right. taught to me. Yeah. You know, over the, you know, so first time I'm introduced to recovery is 2004. 2012 is my sobriety date. So it took me eight years of just trying to, you know, kind of make my way through this and finally surrendering and saying, all right. And I've, I've thought about this. The best decision I ever made was firing myself as CEO of my life in 2012. Because if you would have followed me around and you saw the toes that I stepped on and the relationships that mm-hmm. I destroyed and the jobs I lost, you would have said, whoever's running that guy's life is out to destroy him. <laughs> But the crazy part of it is it all made sense to me. Right. So right. finally I surrendered and said, okay, clearly I need to listen to some people that have a little more experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's, where it all, that's where it all changed for me. Thanks so much, Mike, for sharing that story with us. Um, this brings us to the end of this uh, compilation episode. Thanks for listening today. Next weekend, please stay tuned. We'll have Lisa V. Wigon. Have a good week. And as we'll go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne.